Um, so yeah, t Title IX basically says that if you have to spend X amount of money on men's sport mm -hmm. at university, any publicly funded university in the US, you have to spend the same amount of money on women's sport. And given that they were spending kind of huge amounts of money on football stadiums uh, and basketball courts and um, baseball diamonds. And I think there's like, there's one university that has a football stadium that they use precisely once a year mm. for a varsity match against another university. Oh, like the unit, like the Heisman Trophy University end of end of year Super Bowl for universities. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll whatever it is, but fundamentally, it's just like it's used once a year. So American universities were spending a vast amount of cash on what is by and large men's sport, right? And then they were just like looking at this, and it's like, how, how do we deal with this? How what what do we do? I mean, how how can we get like the amount of money? How can we literally spend the amount of money on women's sport? Mm. Um, it's just like we've built a we've built a swimming pool. What else are we can do? And it turned out that actually they realised that Christ, we can build a boathouse. Um, and we can call it an investment because it means we own some incredibly expensive lakeside property and we can buy loads of very expensive boats every year. And we can get dozens and dozens of women on some level of scholarship um, to use this boathouse and use these boats. And uh, so what they've had is this incredibly, incredibly effective scholarship scheme in the um, Division One universities for rowing that has produced, you know, it's, it's basically hoovered up every incredibly tall woman in the United States, an incredibly fit woman in the United States um, that can't jump and doesn't want to starve themselves down to a point where they're a good swimmer or a good cyclist. Um, and so they've just churned out incredibly powerful rowers for decades now. Hmm. And also, they don't probably want to join the swim team or the athletics team because all of the men are declaring themselves as women now, taking their scholarships and taking their medals away from them. So, you know... There is that which which um, which we have no official position of on in this podcast, other than to say we believe that fairness is as important, if not more important than inclusion. And women have a right to engage in sport with other women. They do. And if you've been born a man, you can wear all the makeup you want you're still a man. Um, sorry, that's a personal opinion. It does not reflect the official editorial policy of Broken Oars podcast, but I have two daughters currently living in a place where a man has just broken a girl's kneecap while playing women's soccer and self-declaring as a woman. Um, yes, welcome back to the Christmas episode. As you can tell, we are dealing with a lot of Christmassy stuff right there. Title IX, trans activism, inclusion, all of those fun things. 
Um, we are recording part two because Lewin had to go and do domestic duties. I may be called away at any point because a parcel had been delivered, but we have returned, haven't we, Lewin, to talk about more Christmassy stuff. And also because we got a few facts wrong, we said that the GB Women's Four had won silver, and in fact they'd won bronze, and the Americans had won the four, and in fact they hadn't, and so on and so on and so forth. Shall we turn to Christmassy yeah, we stuff? Fundamentally, we were slightly winging it on that episode. Yeah, we kind of and, and, and we didn't we didn't sit down and do our normal five minutes of hard work. Yes, we we basically um, zoomed each other to catch up. Got into a really interesting discussion on how GB is currently selecting its athletes uh, compared to how it selected them in the past, and just decided to kind of hit record after forty five minutes of absolute gold and it, it all just got very messy from that point it fell apart frankly yeah shall, shall we do some kind of Christmassy stuff or some some stuff with reindeers in and Santa and people with red noses which this morning appears to be me if my video feed is anything to go by I'm I'm going to well I, I don't know I was just going to sum up the year and I was just going to say like you know it's a pretty good year in rowing um it was much well, better why, Lewin? why has it been a pretty good year in rowing what's happened that's made it so damned fine other than the fact we're still here despite the best efforts of martin cross to take us off the air um yeah i mean uh, martin martin has been working hard behind the scenes i mean it's like the the last time somebody was like in the field of rowing somebody was plotting this hard against two potentially public figures to make sure they didn't get that much exposure um the bbc didn't film the first three minutes of the women's pair final at the rio olympics terrible terrible i've always said you know people talk about the bbc and, the and fact in that no it's... way was that a plot to reduce the exposure of helen glover potential media career after the olympics not at all you, you not can... at all you can trust the BBC. It's not like the Daily Mail at all. It's not owned by billionaire offshore owners manipulating political opinion for their own ends. The BBC is is neutral. The fact that it's a royal charter and it's it's more establishment than Charles's fingers. And I say that because I've recently seen a picture of Charles. What's going on with the current king's hands? He's got fingers like a pork butcher. Oh, hey, right. So um, there is, I, I actually read about this and like a doctor said, every, everybody's like, having a go at him and like saying oh prince puffy fingers the last and stuff like that um actually it's almost certainly a very um they came up with the name of it but it's probably a remarkably painful con condition we shouldn't really mock i'm not mocking i still i'm not mocking i still want knighthood at some point for services to something or other which i haven't yet you know publicly defined is it some kind of sax coburg windsor genetic condition thing um, probably not. It's just he's a he's a man of advancing years. Um, the slightly strange thing where he became king when he was seventy, um, mm. so he will not be leading, leading the troops into battle. Um, First role of a king. I mean, Tom George would. Tom George would be on the line going right, boys. I think we can have them. I I can see Tom George surrounded by pipers, waving the standard. Yeah, I genuinely so can. can. Um, the measure of a king if he's not prepared to actually charge into battle why would you follow him and support him 
Uh, and I can I can actually see Ollie Wynn Griffiths standing next to him in a kilt and woad with a big kickoff claymore as his like personal champion. Mm. I I I think that should be what they wear next year in at the Olympics when when they do the pair and they face up to the Sinkovich brothers and they don't run away and they don't hide in the four. And they're, they're not parachuted in by the powers that be. They go, no, we're going to stand and fight because I think we can take them, us and 5,000 people from the north. I just, <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? It just isn't going to. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. Um, Let me ask you a question. Serious question. Pinsent and, Cra and Crackers, after after the you know Redgrave's last stand, we're going to do the pair. Did they stay and fight it out in two thousand and four? After after Dunks and Drew beat them in two thousand and three. No, I as much as I dis, I believe that the decision was made was was an ungentlemanly decision, and I believe that it had ongoing consequences, not just for. Um, Pinsent Cracknell, I believe that there are a couple of people who were pushed out of the um of the, the four into the pair, um, who didn't make the Olympic final, but had a strong chance of winning a medal, if not gold. I don't the only British boat that could have beaten the Canadians in that year was the Pinson, Cracknell, Williams, Coo boat. There was no other co combination. Absolutely. So, so from a management but, perspective, but they got it right. From a management perspective, the only way that we were coming home with any gold medal in men's rowing that year was making that call. However, yes. it was a question that we are playing the categories. We are winning ugly. We are doing whatever it takes to keep bringing in that sweet, sweet, sweet lottery money into British rowing and not anywhere else. But from a sporting land of the gentleman amateur, we don't try particularly hard and we either win gloriously or we lose magnanimously or magnanimously, I've never been able to pronounce that. It's probably the dyslexia talking. Uh, of the whole kingship stand and fight, you know, ragged band of followers in, in the misty dawn, We he, in, there is no retreat from here, boys. We must fight. Not the most glorious decision we've ever made. I think, and we didn't ask him, but we should have done, I think that Hodge would have chosen to go on with Pete Reed and have a go at the Kiwis in London. I think that may have been a management decision as well. I I think that had he had someone said, "Will you stand and fight?" He would have went, "Yes." No, I I, I think absolutely. I, I think both of them were itching. I mean, so my memory of our chat with Hodge, which is like close to three years ago now, is that he basically said, "We, you know, to this day, I reckon that on our best day." And if they didn't have their best day, we could have taken them. Yeah. Um, and he, he looks at every single kind of um, 
kind of world championship and world cup that they competed in and they didn't kind of they didn't beat them and they just say you know what there were reasons behind all of those mm. the fact is that the Kiwis had a pretty good day in London. A world record in the heat. <laughs> they, they were pretty bloody good. I mean, they sort of like they they set the world's um the world's best time in the semi-finals or the heats or something yeah. like that. And then just went out there and said, Yeah, sod it. Um we're pretty good. Um, so yeah. It would have been a closer race. It would have been a closer race. It would have been a better race. But again, the, the I, I can one. see, I can see a gold and a bronze in the pair, or in the four of the pair, becoming two silvers. Hmm. And again, it's that one. One gold medal in lottery funding language is worth five silver medals. Yes, so and it was the right call. It might not been. It might not have been the glorious call. It might have not been the call of the heart, but it was the call of the head. Yes, and and if if there's one thing that Jurgen can never be accused of doing, it was making decisions that put at risk the flow of that sweet sweet lottery cash indeed it, it, um, he, he knew he knew how to keep it coming in he knew how to keep it coming in um and i have to say because i've recently i've just put it back up on our twitter feed and berg and mac have, have just have just responded to it which because I, I couldn't sleep recently i'm having real trouble with insomnia at the moment and I watched the entirety of the Olympic final again between, and it was essentially between um, the GB boat and the Aussie boat. It is amazingly good rowing. It is so controlled and measured, but they're still putting every, it's just, it's rowing as you want it to be. And there's a second in it. There's a second in it over 2K between those two boats. It's glorious. So what, it's just, it's just great performances by both crews. And, and, and the, Uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, it, I, I never want to give a backhanded compliment to the Australian boat. From well, no, it's just not, it's not like you, because is it? it was Because it was one of, I think, the two greatest falls in history. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, if you actually look at that 2012 race, again, it's just one of those things. It looks very, very boring from the outside. Yeah. It, it's just like oh british boat is going like tight are they going faster are they not going faster but you know from you know if, if somebody hasn't done a rowing race a 2k rowing race mm. you don't know what it's like the absolute fear and chaos and this desperate desperate requirement to try and remain fluid and calm and relaxed as your body is slowly drowning in its own exertions whilst at the same time you're just you're just living with this constant fear that you know you are just operating on an absolute knife edge yeah 
and and it's like you there was between those two boats one bad stroke mm. we we if we'd taken in that race one horrible stroke of one person in that boat out of the okay what we're talking about like 38 strokes a minute for six minutes approximately six minutes yeah so call it somewhere between 230 and 250 strokes one bad stroke and we'd have got a silver and the Aussies would have got gold and here's the thing if if you're at home listening to this going yeah but yeah but okay think about the last race that you did okay whether it was a head race over 5k or whether it was something back in the summer where it was short and and and, and sprinty think of try and recall a time where you you produced an absolutely flawless race from start to finish where you didn't take a single bad stroke not not that oh it's a bit ripped at the start because we're a bit anxious or that little wobble in the middle where the blades touch down or that little washed out catch because you were getting a little bit tired the level they were operating at that day both of those crews the level that they were operate operating at is superhuman and the thing that makes it extraordinary is that these are ordinary people doing extraordinary things that's what is so amazing about it it's superhuman but it's done by human beings it's done in front of a live audience of billions it's done in front of a home crowd who has turned up because britain always wins and to produce performances that make you go well there's nothing happening they're just kind of inching down the course on the screen it's not exciting there's no sprints there's no surges there's no drama but they are locked in mortal combat with each other, just eking, tr just trying to get that 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 inch, that 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 next, just that millimeter, while balancing on this knife edge of if they wash out on that stroke, if a blade touches down, if someone is a little bit heavy at the catch, the other boat is in and they're not going to let it slip. It's unbelievable. It's it's just it's a performance for the ages. It is um and I, I i genuinely do think that we kind of we underestimate um just how much goes into it we, yeah. we really do we take it for um, granted as a and, we, as a, and I, th I think we also underestimate even as as rowers we don't actually stop and think just how hard it is to produce a performance of that quality um yeah and i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna say i'm i'm not i'm not sure that i i would actually describe any of the eight men uh or frankly any of the 24 men in that final as ordinary human beings i think they're all a little bit special but yes they are not they are not they're not miracles. They are within the range of human performance, but they are. There was so much work that had gone into that. Race. So much work, and then to do it, to actually go out and do it, it's like performing a violin. You know, anyone can learn the notes of a violin concerto, but to make it sing in front of a live audience, different. It's different air, and I, I'm meaning they're ordinary people doing extraordinary things in the context of you know what we talked about with someone like Kath Bishop. We tend to think that. Our athletes, our sports stars, our, our our artists, our writers, our musicians, our our business leaders, however you want to put it, that they're somehow superhuman and they're, they're destined to win. 
but they're not and that's what makes it special they are human beings like us they feel fear they feel pain they have they have anxiety and if they can learn how to do that um we can take something from that i feel which is rowing's great um is yeah you know it can be magical but the point is if it you know if we're looking at pragmatism much though we'd love tom and ollie to go there is no retreat from here boys we must fight you know the famous um highlanders we must defeat swiss swiss and their kind of and their banking system indeed Uh, and 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 their ability to make absolutely fantastic chocolate i think they took all of the nazi gold that they that they hung on to after the war and they put it into r d in chocolate or at least most of it well i'm just throwing that out there as a theory I, I have no you know evidence for that and it won't hold up in court but their chocolate is very very good and and it's got to be they put a lot of money into it and they had a lot of money at the end of the second world war this is true um so from a management perspective much though we'd like to see them in the pair loon and i are putting our shirts you know um our christmas shirts on ollie and tom ending up in the fall in paris speak for yourself i like this jumper okay well i'm i'm you know, putting my, my t shirt on the line if, if if the british rowing management decide to roll the dice i'm i'm not i'm not giving away the jumper um you're no fun anymore you used to be devil may care you've settled down in middle age absolutely I'm, i've been drinking tea while we've been talking it's not even coffee anymore Bloody um hell. you were always caffeinated is this the yes end? no is this, um, is this our slow decline into senescence oh that's been going on for yonks but speaking right. of which that's a remarkably good seg- segue the reason i've started drinking tea mm-hmm. is because i have stopped taking my indigestion medication Oh, this is you were you this is um you were complaining about this on Twitter. You've realized that the reason why you're now slow, and when we say slow, dear listener, he can he's 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 only within <laughs> he's still only within a few seconds of his 2k PB um at the ripe old age of 98 now. Um you've discovered that there are such things as performance enhancing drugs and there's such things as performance limiting drugs. Yes, the PLID, the performance limiting drug. Um and the problem is there isn't like a really nice big list of these things from WADA that you can look up when you're taking them and say, don't take these or slow you down. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, I don't know. Let's share something personal. I really like spicy food um, due to various issues of lifestyle. I eat quite late at night. Mm-hmm. And I love coffee, and I love very strong coffee that has lots and lots of caffeine in it. You know that really kind of like jittery feeling that you get when you drink too much caffeine, and from, it feels like you're paranoid and intense. I or from methamphetamine, yes, but I know That's where you're going. Absolutely wonderful for me. And um, one of the problems is this: that um, all these things are prone to give you indigestion okay so um i did what many many millions of people around the world did and i went to my doctor and said i've got indigestion and they said here try these and these are a class of drug called proton pump inhibitors now a proton is a hydrogen ion which is the basis of all acidity chemistry teacher hat on here um and the proton pump inhibitor stops and it's quite weird how it does this, but it stops your stomach wall from 
pumping in hydrogen ions or basically acidity into your stomach and as a result you don't get acid reflux you don't get heartburn you don't get indigestion um which is great and it's generally regarded that these drugs are hugely well tolerated by the human body um the amount of side effects that people get is really very limited um it's very manageable when you do get the side effects and all these things are kind of like regarded as oh yeah this is fine um and then there is the very very rare case of magnesium deficiency so one of these slightly old things is that uh when you pump hydrogen ions into your stomach at the same time you can pump magnesium ions from the food you uh have been eating out of your stomach and into your bloodstream and therefore you have enough you know you've got enough food uh, magnesium in your bloodstream which is required for various hormone productions and stuff Um, okay uh, it's mostly to do with kind of the production of hormones and one of these odd things is that you know if you turn those pumps off you slowly start reducing the amount of magnesium and you've got it and this is one of these strange things that it takes a while to kick in so mm. you don't really notice it it's a bit like the dietary con- consequences of being a vegetarian or a vegan where you can actually slowly develop um deficiencies in your diet without really realizing it because the kind of the deficient kind of like being a vegan or being a vegetarian is like three to six months removed from deficiency actually starting to kick in Mm. which is so it's difficult to associate the two things um and then you have a steak and you feel better um in my case i just felt very sort of fit and very kind of active and like I didn't feel like I had any problem until it actually came to doing a proper competitive piece on the rowing machine uh, when I had to you know really reach for that that final extra gear where you're properly going into a deep and unpleasant place and then suddenly finding there was not very much there. So, so it wasn't like the general thing, sort of like, I don't think I would turn around and say, oh yes, I lost loads of speed. It was like, I lost the absolute sharpness at the absolute raw end of a hard competitive piece of rowing. And I, I just felt that I couldn't, I couldn't find that, that last, gasp effort which has like cost me in a few sort of like races i've entered um and then i stopped taking these things i had a couple of multivitamins over a few days i did another competitive piece and bang the afterburners came back it was really very strange it was just like i remember this this is the thing that i'm actually very good at in a sort of long, difficult piece of rowing, 
actually suddenly finding that kind of like up to three times in the last 1500 meters and not just completely stalling when I tried. So yeah, proton pump inhibitors, um, they can lead to magnesium deficiency. It might just be that you need to take more magnesium. I don't know. Um, but the history of magnesium supplements and performance enhancement is not a great one. Yeah. Do, do you think the reason why there isn't, um, so there, you know, there's like a wider list of stuff that you can't take, um, or a, or a UK anti-doping list of stuff that you can't take. Do you think that there's, there's, there's a list, there isn't a list of stuff that you shouldn't take because there are not many athletes and coaches who are going, oh, we're going a bit quickly here. They're going to discover about the PED, the PEDs quick, take some, some plids instead. Um, I'm being flippant. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, I would have thought that there would have been a greater body of knowledge out there about, you know, I've never once had anybody come to me and say, in in like in sport or rowing it's like honestly you don't want to take these you don't want to take these you you want to really avoid the statins the statins can cause like muscle weakness uh the proton pump inhibitors if you take them also take a magnesium supplement um and so on and so forth yeah. you know they're, they're, um nobody nobody's ever said to me um actually if you if you take uh, ADHD medication, it's going to raise your heart rate for a given rate of exertion. So, like all your heart rate calculations are going to be off. Yeah, it's it's um, a flip, it's a flipping point for me to make, but actually. A lot of the science goes into finding stuff that makes you go faster. And a lot of coaches and athletes, um, if some of the recent reports by the Times and so forth are anything to go by, um, a, a British athlete has been working with the same team um, who saw who saw Blessing uh, working, you know, working with the same coach who saw who saw Blessing Band and her coach band. Um, it worries me that yeah, if if this was like somebody who'd been working with the same people that sold like hundreds of thousands of ppe gowns that were completely useless to the british government we'd be naming them we'd be turning around and saying it's this person yeah as soon as it's like oh an athlete was working with this same person and it's like they don't even do this thing of kind of like having the story next to a picture of the athlete in question and just like say here is a particular british athlete because they know who it is um it's really really irritating we're just so weirdly polite and british about not going for the whole you know you know what I mean? Just like turning around and yeah. saying, "Yeah, you're you're a bastard, and you've been you've probably been cheating." Because, because it's fairly obviously happening, and and I I say this as someone you know I respect our athletes, especially our rowing athletes, largely because we're still the only unpinged sport that British you know Team GB has left. Um, 
it's fairly obvious that a lot of our athletes and a lot of our coaches are working in places where a lot of the PEDs that are on the band list are readily available over the counter. I'm not throw, throwing any shade or casting any aspersions, but okay. there are lots of places yeah. in the world where you can go to train for warm weather training or altitude training that aren't these places. Um, okay, right. The, I just, yeah, I kind of like, yeah, can, can we like, again, point out that our, when we do high altitude training in British rowing, we don't go to Kenya. Yes. We, we we go to Spain or we go to Austria. Now, I'm not going to turn around and say Spain and Austria have the best record of clean sport in all of Europe. But at the same time, neither of them actually sell EPO over the counter. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there you actually need a doctor and a prescription to get EPO in Spain. Yeah. Yeah. And um, also in Spain, um, I believe doping is a criminal offence. It is because it's part of the it's part of the EU where doping is a criminal offence. Um, yeah. So you would think yes, but to you know to circle back round, we should probably do a full episode on that. You you don't have to go to the places where you can buy the drugs that will make you go faster over the counter to do your warm weather or altitude training. You can go to places where these things are not available. Why would you choose to go there if only to stop snarky people like me saying, why are you going to a place where they go two lattes? Would you like some, would you like some EPO with your croissant? Um, it's not anabolic chaser, sir. <laughs> anabolic chaser, sir. Wow. What big muscles you have. Those are lovely traps um genetic are they however yeah it's not a great, it's not a great look um i speak as someone who loves sport believes it should be inclusive believes everyone should be active believes everyone should do it i am under no illusions about professional sport anymore or the olympics because everybody in the past who's not a rower has probably been pinged at some point and if they haven't they were probably not doing what they should have been doing but i'm not the, sure about badminton players to be honest i reckon the badminton players aren't doing that much what they, you think they move that fast just because they have incredible amounts of fast twitch i'm being flippant honestly i'm gonna i'm gonna sit here and say I I don't think the badminton players are like the world's uh, dirtiest athletes. I, I look at the badminton players and I go, I I reckon they're like they're just like natural athletes. Actually, to be fair, to be fair, the Chinese team has no history of state-sponsored doping in its in in its entirety in its history ever it's all done on caterpillar bottoms and turtles blood absolutely and i don't um, and I, there is no evidence to suggest that their quads are actually manned by robots who are being who are being run by computer because precision like that can be attained by hum, human beings who are made of flesh and blood but the chinese quad was very very good I mean, it was oh, what the precision <laughs> of it. The Chinese women's squad at Henley. My, my, my. They were they were very, very good. Weren't they um, just? Uh, it was. And, it was and like, they, were, they were nice enough to not beat anyone else by more than like a dozen lengths. 
It was it was like the Swiss took some of the Nazi gold that they put into chocolatiering <laughs> and 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 they 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 engineered alongside Swiss watches. You know, this is how the Chinese court will run. It was it was like precision. It was like precision clockwork. It was okay. it was it was glorious to watch, even even if they are running on caterpillar bottoms and turtles blood. So, are you saying then that? And I do take the point. I think you are right that. If we have a list of PEDs, then surely coaches and athletes would also be interested in a list of this might inhibit your performance. Yeah, I, I think there should be. And I imagine if you, I imagine if you just like sit down with like a half decent pharmacist or possibly mm. even just a GP and say, can you give me a list of things that as a, as an athlete, mm doing an endurance sport, I probably shouldn't take, or I should like, you know, because again, it's like, like, like Swiss chocolate. I am an asthmatic athlete. So I get very, very stressed when people say asthma inhalers are performance enhancing. It's like, I just sit there. It's like, are they really? I've tried um, them. They didn't make me go any faster. Yeah, they, I mean, I I tried them constantly. I tried mine this morning. I tried it yesterday. I it doesn't really seem to help that much. Um, but you know, particularly for gentlemen of a certain age, as we get older, what one person did say that one of the great advantages of living in the modern era as a man over the age of forty is you suffer from various ongoing physical breakdowns usually in areas of your physiology and psychology that are not your strength so it's like at no point would i say it's like my heart and legs are letting me down mm. okay my digestive system different matter um and so you kind of you you kind of as you go through life particularly after the age of 40 you tend to become more and more sort of like i don't know if dependent is the right word but it's the first one that springs to mind you tend to become more dependent on medications to sort of like let you just get on with things without worrying about niggles and pain and the the various indignities of growing old mm. which is a very good thing but given rowing in particular has such a sort of immensely i don't know how to describe it immensely sort of prevalent veteran and masters aspect mm. and kind of demographic it's like probably it's probably worth us thinking about out of all these things that we've been given by the doctor which relieve certain conditions which ones of them are kind of not only relieving certain conditions but making us go really bloody slowly mm. okay. um, and actually kind of ruining a lot of the effort that we put into the thing we enjoy most in our lives yeah do you feel um do you feel happier now you've got your afterburners back do you feel and the reason that this is that it's a, it's a two-part question because um 
yes, we, we all do the rate 18 stuff or, you know, some of us do. And yes, we can go for a paddle and yes, you, you know, we can, we can do the various aspects of training and the technical drills and what have you. But I think, and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, part of the fun of rowing, especially when we were younger, was that day when it was Dennis's Pyramids of Doom or that day when it was three by 2K or four by 1500 meters or that day where you were going to go into that dark, horrible place because weirdly enough, going into there made you feel very, very alive. And afterwards, you felt like, yes, this is me. This is this is where I go to, and I can go to that place. If only there was a podcast that this year had coined a phrase to describe that wonderful, wonderful concept that you've got. Oh, no, wait, that was us. We started talking about Type 2 fun. Thank you, Dylan. Type 2 um, fun. And then kind of like the British... 500 meter open champion phil clapp started talking about having type two fun um i knew we'd made it at that point thanks phil um and and it is just that kind of yeah i mean no uh yes i absolutely i mean i i would say between now and four weeks ago when i just like said right i'm gonna i'm gonna stop taking these unless i absolutely need them had a chat on the phone with the doctor because we don't get to see doctors in person in this country anymore not at all no but it's the best national health service in the world don't let anyone tell you otherwise and british infrastructure is the best in the world and we have the best education system in the world don't look outside of our borders. Don't go on the internet. Don't Google the rankings. Don't get me started, Eric. Don't literally don't get me started. Um, okay. I'm not, I'm not. I'm literally for the for the benefit of our dear listeners who have to put up with like my opinions and my complete lack of knowledge on who won the women's four um, World Women. Cup uh, World Championship. Women won it. I'm just going to say, let, let's let's not go there. But um, best country in the world. Cracker says well, it's the it's the only one I'm living in at the moment. That's so it. no, I I I I do feel profoundly better. I I feel better that I went from a situation of doing a race on the ergo and knowing how this was meant to go and understanding that right okay this is actually going really well and i'm properly in line for like you know i know i know what i'm going to do in like the last third of this Hmm. and it's going to be horrible but it's also going to be i'm really going to enjoy it because it's going to be fun and then when i tried it just didn't and then noticing that that had been like a step that just been happening and happening again and again and again and then stopping taking the tablets dealing with a little bit more heartburn but then like two then a week later and it was literally just it was a week i don't know if it was even a week i did another race on the roam machine and the afterburners were back and it was literally just that thing of just like at a point of absolute pure exhaustion, just being able to just like, okay, push harder, push harder again, 
right? In 300 meters, you're going to go again. Okay, there's 300 meters to go. What have you got? Just like, just go, just go. And not having to think, oh, just, just do anything to avoid putting the handle down. Yes, I, I really, really enjoyed having that hand. I don't know how long it's going to last because I'm getting older. And, you know, um, but given it was there then when it hadn't been for quite a while it was really really nice good can i ask a more can i shift gears again Go and on. ask a, and you know this is the end of year podcast technically so let's do some end of year stuff let's put you on the spot favorite podcast guest bearing in mind that we get the best guest of any rowing podcast i think all due respect crossy and your your, your pod yesterday with camilla was great um favorite guest and you you, you might have to do some thinking because it's actually even though the year has weirdly gone very very quickly it's also gone very very slowly and it feels like a very very long year so you've got a lot to choose from you've got people like uh, I, don't, we did the, I, I don't we did the great aussie round table we had ellie gilmore um, yeah, well, you see this is the thing but it's like we had chats with people who are not kind of like your typical podcast guests. They're just people who they're doing a bit of sport. They're having a bit of fun. They're, they're just going for it. And that's absolutely brilliant. And I don't want to like turn around because I, I massively enjoyed talking to Dylan and Ian from Sub7 and I massively enjoyed talking to um, Ellie but the fact is we did the great Aussie round table and I just think it was like it was like we, we had, we've never done any proper journalism and there, there are times when I, I kind of like regret that on this podcast and I would have liked to have like tried harder to pick up the phone to people particularly on the doping thing and like try and get the inside story on this or that the other or find out a bit more and push the boundaries of what people are publicly saying about different things but the great aussie roundtable having those guys who have dedicated their entire lives to the sport of rowing and then have kind of like in some ways moved on from it and done other things but always kind of kind of kept coming back to being we are mercantile rowers mm. um that was really for me that was like okay that's just an that was just an incredible two hours of my life um and i'm like incredibly grateful for the people who were involved in that and they they're just like they took their time and they and they kind of like spoke to us and they shared three lifetimes of experience with us which yes. is which is incredible of course when we say that we then also have to say we also spoke to Zeno Muller well, and it's just like if if you are looking for a character in this sport, let, let you look no further. 
do you remember when we were kids um obviously growing up and we hadn't even met then but there was a children's tv show an animation called uh dungeons and dragons yep and there was a character in it called the dungeon master I and do. when things got particularly tough he would pop up and offer nomic pearls of wisdom like sometimes the way forward is the way back okay the reason why I'm framing this is because when we talked to Zeno, it was basically like trying to interview a force of nature, like some kind of hurricane that just appeared on our screens, blew across us for like 40 minutes and then vanished off in the direction of, of where he lives in America to call, wreak, wreak more energetic chaos and, and utterances. But all of our guests are great. I think the point that we're making is that even though we'd like to do serious journalism and we've never bothered, um what actually drives the podcast is the fact we get to talk to people to human beings and we get to connect with them as human beings uh which is why all of our guests have been great the aussie roundtable you know drew berg and maka um it's it's the one that people still message us about or message me about uh you know that they get they've got so much from it but the but the a very very close second because it's only just come out the Zeno Muller one is like I have to listen to that again Dan Armstrong who's who's now head of recruitment at, at DUBC there's so much in that I need to sit down with a notebook and and listen there's and it's just what a character what energy what positivity I'm I'm a grumpy northerner and I was like I I think I could row through that brick wall now I yeah no no um he basically made me want to move to California. Mm. I just thought, yeah, right, that's it. I'm, I'm taking the family. We're selling the house. We are going to California and we are going to start a an online rowing coaching business. Just like right now. The, this is the way forward. We are going to be more Zeno. Um, be more Zeno. It should be a t-shirt. Be more Zeno. When in doubt. Yeah, I mean, no, Zeno. that, that, that that should be that should be our our merch really yeah uh, be more xeno but yeah no but after I, three, after it, three it years was, we still haven't got around to making but there you go it was one of the i i i think for the ages it will stand up as one of the most brilliant for 45 minutes of sports podcasting ever recorded i'm 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 going with that um I believe this year we also I, I haven't shared this with you yet, but we've actually won our first award and that and that was the James Widmer Award for the podcast that causes people to fall asleep while driving on the motorway. Um, James is a person that I row with at uh, Time United. He was taking an early morning, I believe, drive to somewhere from somewhere. He was listening to our podcast and our podcast caused him to fall asleep on the motorway luckily he was in an electric car that went hold on a second and woke him back up but we have officially won the james widmer award for the podcast most likely to make you fall asleep while driving a car so um thank you very much james for this award it's our first um we will we will always treasure it indeed yeah. um yeah so um that was yeah, that that was a a notable a notable thing that for two very different reasons. Those have to be my my two favorite podcasts: the, the Zeno Muller podcast and the um, the Aussie Roundtable. 
what, um, would you, what would what would your race of the year be this can be a personal race this can be a race that you've seen last year it was taken and i still go back to it because it's a bloody great race by those young ladies from players court against redwood scholars in the final at henley which was just that is how you march someone down across the entirety of the course take everything they've got to give break them and go through them it was just magic what was your race of the year this is dead air ladies and gentlemen no because, yeah i know i'm thinking i'm thinking I, I because i want spot. to say something different from the players court one uh, well, that, that was 2022 so so you can pick anyone from henley or you can pick anyone from a world champ so you can pick a person I mean, so if you, if you said what what was your your race of the year i would just kind of say um white cliff henley women's just like there's there's this club that isn't necessarily a known name mm -hmm. um and then you kind of see just this i think i think it was actually a junior b boat that the junior b skull so that well they they were they were juniors in the boat mm -hmm. um and they were racing in adult doubles at henley women's and they went through this foreign crew they just like got them off the start and just went for it and and they they went through adults and, and the thing is like Wycliffe, okay they're a really good club they, they're not a small non-entity like doesn't exist oh sorry I, there's a sorry there's there's literally a woodpecker outside my window which is which is which is nice Magical. Um, there's a dragon outside of mine country. but i live in the north um but they i just i just remember them just like i, I just watched it on the henny women's live stream which is not the all singing all dancing wonders of the um henley or regatta live stream and mm. i just like started looking up what wycliffe were doing and even though they're just like they're not one of the big names of junior rowing or club rowing or kind of elite rowing in this country they're just they're on a march mm. and it just made me feel actually you know what if you it's kind of like hinsky if you get that combination of the right boats the right people and the right water together if you put that together and you are prepared to do the work actually you can beat people you know it's like thames has no fear for you ox brooks there you know you don't know necessarily that you can beat them but you're also sitting there thinking they can't get it wrong mm -hmm. It, it, they they can't have an easy race and you know again that slightly reaffirmed my faith in you know and, and there are times when it, it you can get very cynical about rowing but it reaffirmed my faith in rowing that it is a sport that if you have you're going to need a chunk of raw talent you're going to need that those long arms and long legs and big heart 
But if you've got those, you can you can actually just like if you put the work in, if you have that bit of support from a club and a coach, people can't beat you. And people can fly halfway around the world and they have all their um all their precedents and their palmiers and all these things and you can beat them mm. just because you're better just because you've done the training just because you're actually really really strong and really really good and um, you're not and i just you... I, I saw that in, in wycliffe at henley women's and i thought blimey that's good yeah and and you're not scared of the name and you're not scared of the reputation and you believe in your club and you believe in your crew and you've done the work and you're going to, because there are crews who turn up and they know they're going out on the Wednesday and that that's fine. And you know, that's or on the Tuesday now and that's fine, but it is very, very refreshing in, in a world where Oxbrook's A, B, C and D are going through into certain categories and in a world where, and you and I have talked about this, we love we we love henley we believe it should be something that all rowers aspire to because it it is the pinnacle of club rowing it's not just because it's british and it's prestigious and it's one of the world's oldest rowing regattas and it has the history and the reputation it's it's valhalla for rowers and if you're a rower you you know like the vikings you want to go to valhalla and test yourself um it has become increasingly a different entity to the one that we recognize it's gone very very corporate in many ways it has to the live stream media team alone must cost it an absolute packet but it's very very refreshing to see a Wycliffe going we're not scared but but it's very and it tends to be younger crews who haven't learned fear yet who haven't learned the oh well with our times we're likely to get to here and that'll be good enough for us that's like no we're gonna we're gonna have a go here then on that note i have to give a shout out to tyne amateur it's not something that i do very Ooh, they often. did well didn't they they did very well i don't shout them out very often because they're always on the wrong side of the river on the bends cutting us up and at some point our bow person is going to wear one of them in 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 their kidneys unless they sort that out but First of all, the men in the Thames Challenge Cup. I've got to give a shout out to Joe, our wonderful coach, still at Newcastle University, currently rows for Blue Star at um, Tyne Amateur, was in the in the Thames Challenge. Joe, popularly known as Josephine around the compound, loved by all, mothered by the Turk ladies because he's just lovely. Fantastic performance. Um, wonderful to see them going through the rounds. Tyne Amateur ladies, wow wow great what a what a run have to say that 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 was that was absolutely absolutely fantastic to see that club representation can still make a fist of it at a place where it can feel somewhat like the medals are sewn up before the regatta actually starts yep um and also i would just like to um throw a little bit of a, a mention to Deal Amateur Rowing Club, um, who made it to the opening round of the Britannia Challenge Cup. They made it no further, um, in part because they are not natural river rowers. They are coastal rowers, and they've been a very, very dominant boat over the past season and a bit, 
uh, or two, I think, um, in coastal rowing in Kent, mm. and they have they have a they have a cost four, and they went out and they qualified for the brick, and again, I looked at this and it was very very hard when you saw these guys who come from a coastal town in East Kent that suffers from all the traditional or actually not traditional all the modern afflictions of coastal towns to a greater or lesser extent and they turned around and they said we're going to go to Henley and they went to Henley and they made it to Henley on merit and they raced there which I just think was flipping great. Now, yes, they, they didn't get into, um, they, they didn't win their race. Um, but I, I think we've said many times on this podcast, the challenge is just making it there. Yeah. For, for at least 50% of crews, the challenge is just getting there in the first place. If you do yeah. that, you've done pretty well. You've convinced people that you're actually pretty damn good bunch of bros. Yeah, I I think that's I, I think that's fair, but having loaded all I the my race of the year, having said all of that, I have to give it to Tom and Ollie because Tom has finally, after being one of the outstanding rows of his generation for what seems like an age, finally got a Henley Medal. Oh yes, he did, didn't he? He did, he did. So well done to him. I mean, there uh, we've given a shout out to a lot, but I think that's 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 quite nice um, that he's finally got it. And uh, you know, a man who is who is an who is on an Olympic playing field far above anything that I ever achieved. Me going, well, isn't that nice? It's kind of like my mum going, well, isn't that nice when something you know nice happens in a garden? Isn't that nice? But it is nice. It's good. It's nice that he's been rewarded henley medals are hard to win some people seem to pick them up like they're you know picking up chocolate coins while doing the christmas shopping but for for others you know they're they're pretty hard things to win and it's nice to see the preeminent pair the pm the preeminent british pair of their generation um and tom finally get one now can, can i can i just say one thing you can in terms of races that i was really impressed by mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of like being behind at Henley and pressuring and pressuring and pressuring and then coming through in the last gasp, mm. I think the Cam Buckham's inaugural victory in the first round of the Diamonds, mm. that was a pretty bloody good race. It was. It was actually it was um in the single which is a lonely place to be if you are struggling um actually there were quite a lot of those on the line moments at henley this year there were there and going back to the 2012 final where it's one bad stroke and you've lost there were actually a couple that were decided by a bad stroke in the last two or three strokes on the on the line so it's been it's you know this year's Henley was a very very I know it looks like Oxbrook's just turned up and won with their usual amount of graceless class, um, everything. But there was a lot of stuff on the line that was and a lot of very very hard fought racing. 
Can I shift gears again? Sorry, no. you you want to say something no, about about my quip about Ox Brooks being graceless? Look, here's the thing: they've taken advantage of their geographical location of being in the Those eye line of the squad, yes. being in the eye line of Henley, being able to offer um, subsidized grade places for for aspiring juniors who want to do all of those things that I've just mentioned. Um, and they've built a they've built a great winning system, but I heard a few interviews by a few winning crews where they went, "Well, yeah, we're off-rooks. Winning's what we do." It's like, yes, great, well done, you've won. That's fantastic. You've done things that I could only dream of, but do it with a bit of class and that and that. Yeah, rooks. It's like, oh my god, your parents should have fucking cut your vocal cords out at birth, you know. Jesus Christ, you know, have a bit of class about it because the reality is you are a teacher training college who've taken advantage of all those things. Well done. You've made a fantastic program. But this winning cycle that you're in, it does not last forever at any club. Didn't last forever at Agecroft, didn't last forever. It won't last forever at Thames, no matter how much they cheat. It doesn't last forever. So enjoy it and be gracious about it. That's my rant over. And uh, just for the record, we at Broken Oars do understand that uh, Oxford Brooks University do have a very, very good engineering department that is um, yeah, they're very good widely at engineering regarded program. throughout the South Midlands. Yes, they're very, very good at engineering their rowing program so that they get, you know, they hoover up all of the juniors and go on to win. Dan Armstrong is taking notes. Your time is limited. Yeah. Um, um yes so hang on no well, well we I, i've got to shift gears to talk sorry to shift gears next year which guests would you like to talk to it can be a dream guest that will never come on like matthew pinson and steve redgrave or james cracknell or it can just be someone that you'd really like to sit down and, and have a natter with um Again, I'm going to say Steve Williams. Steve Williams is my dream guest okay. because um, it's just like three Olympic gold medals and zero hype. It's mm. like, you know, um, again, it's this thing that there is this overweening eminence of the Redgrave four. Mm that essentially three members of those four have sewn up all the jobs that are available to very, very good rowers who have retired from rowing. Okay, so it's like, if, if you want somebody to go off to a desert island and do manly things, you, you get crackers. If you want someone to who spent his entire life working in a government-funded minority sport to commentate on government-funded minority sports, you get Matthew. If you want someone to act as um, executive head coach of the Chinese rowing team, you get Stephen. Mm -hmm. um, and doing a damn good job being chairman of Henley Royal Gatta. Um but there isn't there doesn't seem to be a lot of kind of jobs for extras outside of that and you can turn around and you can point to steve williams mm. and say 
he was one of the best rowers with one of the best records and arguably better records than some of the people that I've mentioned in that particular group of individuals. And he just decided to get on with his life. He, yeah. he won three Olympic medals, stopped driving, then for uh, for charity, entirely for charity, he did a fundraising effort where he climbed, a let me get this right, he climbed the highest mountains on each of the seven continents, which, right. is, which is, I mean, I think it's quite a big deal. I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, no. uh, going to Antarctica to, to climb a mountain. No. Um, I think he ra raised several tens of thousands of pounds, and then he just got on with life, as though he's just a regular run-of-the-mill bloke rather than someone who's won three Olympic gold medals in one of the most physically demanding sports in the Olympics. Um, and frankly, I'd really like to have a chat with him and just find out what makes him tick. Because I think that, you know, those, if you look at the red grade four, if you look at, they're, they're all these massive personalities. Mm -hmm. They're these, these people who, who are in many ways, you'd expect them to be the kind of people who would win Olympic gold medals because that's who they are. And it's just like, I, I don't know what Steve Williams is like, but he doesn't seem to be cut from that same mold. And I find that very, very interesting. Yeah, Jez Moore actually speaks incredibly highly of him. He was some, uh, Jez was one of Steve's coaches and um, Jez actually has a signed shirt from the from the gold medal winning, um, he, he, he has the kit from the, I think the Athens final with, um, uh, I, th I think it's something like uh, Chili Con Carne makes champions on it because they used to, they used to make any chili together and talk about rowing a lot. And Steve is someone who has, summited Everest, walked to the North Pole. He actually continued rowing and uh, won the World Championships in 2005, um, going, you know, going on to to do that with um, Alex Partridge, Pete Reed and Andy Hodge. He's an interesting character. I would love to have him on. I've no idea how you would reach out, you know. I guess we just try and find his email like we do with so many others and 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 just badger them into submission. Um, but I think you're also raising, raising a wider point as well, which is British rowing is, it's the most successful Olympic program we have. It doesn't have any- Look, we're entirely prepared to like stand up and say, this was an entirely honest and- Yes. Decent endeavor. There, there are other people who've won more Olympic gold medals, but we 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 try. And yes, we, but they but but they have Dave Brailsford talking about marginal gains and buying off journalists by giving them free kit, and we have, and they and we don't have any coaches yet who have been suspended for being abusive to athletes or telling female athletes that that their dream is over, they should just sod off and go and have a baby now, like Shane Sutton. And we don't have a. It's not a program that has said we will be completely transparent. You and I have talked about this. British rowing is about as transparent as mud. Can we have the 2K results? No. Can we know who's in the squad? No. Can we know Can we know where Cavisham is? No. 
you know, you 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 go. You, I've rode past that river. There are large men in suits with bulges under their arms, which can only be guns and shades on, like the CIA going, "Keep on rowing. Nothing to see here. Don't look. Don't look to the. Don't look to stroke side. Don't look to stroke side. You can't see the lake. Get away from the lake." We don't have any lone wolf doctors operating in the most transparent system ever without anyone spotting that they're ordering testosterone gel. Hi, British Cycling. We're looking at you. Um, it's the most successful program ever. Okay. Um, Hodge, Pete, Alex, Alex, um, Kath, Helen, Kath Bishop. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a roll call of people who've done extraordinary things, who are articulate, who are intelligent, who have insight into the sport, who have insight into the into their lives, who have taken lessons from the journey that they've been on. And it's still the Sydney Four that dominates the narrative. Go outside now and ask that woodpecker to name a rower. I bet that he would name Redgrave or Pinson. Uh, he looks pretty dim. I think he uh, he wouldn't get past Redgrave. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, you know, so might be time for change. I would like to interview, coming back from that slight, slightly possibly lie, but it's not libelous. Um, this is all in the public domain and it's been proved. Sue me. I've got nothing to take. Um, I would like to interview Naomi Richards, uh, chair of Henley Women's Regatta, because I think Henley Women's Regatta is, it, I think it's it's out, it's outstanding. I think this year's was great. And I think that her and her team have turned it into a real force. I think so. Um, and I, yeah, well, you know, hopefully we will. That's, that's all I'm going to say. I, I agree entirely. What is your big? What is your biggest like bugbear? What is your biggest disappointment in rowing this year, other than, other than the fact that we haven't been selected for the GB squad? Obviously, I think that it's just um, the fundamental difficulties of having a job, having a family, um, and getting out of bed in the morning in time to actually go to the river are just like are putting a real barrier in between me and actually rowing on a river and or even on the sea and i really i don't quite know how to get around that because i i reached a point at the end of the summer mm. so a good three months ago now where i was just I was trying to drag myself out of bed at six in the morning to go and row on the river and I just couldn't I just couldn't bring myself to do it um and that was that was really really hard um and that that is like that is currently the biggest block I have with rowing. Um, I can I can talk about various kind of like worries about uh, the fact we're the zero billion dollar industry. We are um, we are perpetually and consistently underpricing um, our our sporting activity. We're we're offering an activity for that is actually really quite resource intensive and location intensive and we offer that um activity for peanuts 
compared to other sporting activities. Mm -hmm. um, I would also say that we, you know, there are lots and lots of things that I, I worry about rowing. I, I do worry about in indoor rowing, the prevalence of people who are, whose performances I do not trust. And no, I'm not going to name names, um, but I will just turn around and just say, you can look at people who are getting faster and faster in their 40s. And you can look at people with somewhat suspicious histories and somewhat suspicious kind of associations. Um, and you just kind of say, who am I wrestling against here? Yeah. Um, but the one thing that really makes me worried about the future of rowing is how much faff is involved and how difficult it is to just go and have a row. Yeah. By the time, by the time for a for a for an hour's outing or a ninety minute outing, you're looking at three hours. Drive to the boathouse, faff around. Someone's late. Someone hadn't got blades out, you know, da, 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 catch up with everyone, talk to the coach, da, 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 get on the water, do the session, come home, clean the boat, put the boat away. Da, 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 da. It's three hours, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, and that is that is difficult. We tend to put up with it because when it clicks on the water, it can be magical. But uh, it is a, it's a huge time suck if you have a life and a family and small children and you want to see them. The thing about rowers going faster in your 40s here's here, here's something you know if you're listening to this um we are rowers who you know loon's still in his 40s i turned 50 this year um obviously still devastatingly handsome and attractive both of us but we, we've been well, rowers in, yeah we've been rowers in our 40s i'm letting that one go through to the wicket keeper without offering a shot um we <laughs> we've been rowers in our 40s we've been rowers in our 30s and we're here to tell you that you can train all you like as a rower in your 40s. You're going to go slower. Okay. Yes. This, this is like film stars going, wow, you know, how did you get that amazing physique for Thor? Chicken and broccoli. Chicken and, 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 broccoli. and steamed rice. And steamed rice. The yeah. most micronutrient deficient diet you could think of led to me looking like this. Um, if you're a rower and you are going faster in your 40s, it might be that you've only just taken up the sport and therefore you, you're going faster because you have no baseline to go from. But really, you can train all you want. It's just part of getting older. You're going to go slower. You're going to lose explosive power. You know, the stamina is the last to go and the speed endurance is the last to go. But once it starts to go, it doesn't come back. So stop cheating and flip off out of our sport. Um, my biggest bugbear isn't those things. And it's not a bugbear. It's, it's because I'm silly and quippy. It's American commentators at Women's Henley and also, you know, um, Henley Royal as well. Dart Totnate, Dart Totness, Birmingham, um, Suffolk, Suffolk. Where is Suffolk? Do you mean Suffolk? Um, it's just, I know if I went to Philadelphia, I'd have trouble pronouncing the word Philadelphia, except of course, I wouldn't because we invented the language and sent it over there where you mangled it. 
Um, it's just, it's tirelessly entertaining, tirelessly entertaining. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give them too much of a hard time because it's, it's a known factor that, you know, you present like the written word Worcester in front of an American and Worcestershire. Worcestershire, get a bit confused. <laughs> and and also, I was for a a period of time a foreigner in Norfolk, and the kind of the lack of relation between the written word and the actual sound of various Norfolk place names is an endless an endless source of amusement for the locals um okay. when us londoners sort of come up there to sort of do educational activities uh, yeah That's i agree like i agree i think pronouncing edinburgh as edinburgh is perfectly natural and um, I'm, I'm i'm gonna i'm gonna switch gears because i think that we should offer a very very large thank you to um actually an increasingly large number of people who have chosen to financially support the podcast because as i've said many times unlike lots of things on the social media internet side of things actually making a podcast isn't free um there are overheads there are requirements and they do have to be paid for and quite a lot of people have made contributions to us through our buy me a coffee website that have actually meant that i wouldn't we're, we're in no danger of making a profit I'd, I'd say that but i would also say it's like we we've offered like a few little things that we've offered the broken Wars power widget which every so often i update and try and improve we have offered the a few training plans um aaron has got his album on the site um which is known as northumbria it's a very good album should anybody choose to listen thank you very much and uh, i've also put up our mystery of the cambridge bow episode oh. as a as a pd as a uh, an ebook that you can download and read to find out who actually done it whatever it was um so we're trying to add some value to the website although we actually think that it's pretty good value as it is but you have actually supported us which is really kind we're not making we're not anywhere near making a profit but we we are within touching distance i would say perhaps covering costs i think for the i would say for the past three months we have been covering our costs which is and um which is which is actually like really quite nice um, and also, and and because of that nice. we're actually finding and um thanks to um Lewin's wonderful wife Haley giving us a kick up the arse and telling us to you know pull our finger out after three years of podcasting um we've looked at the analytics and we are international we we have almost as many listeners in the United States as we have in the UK we 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 are listened to throughout the continent that we've just left because of Brexit um we're listened to in France we're listened to in Spain we're listened to in in Italy where Esther has just bought us three coffees thank you very much Esther saying that she enjoys the podcast as a, a rowing adult and rowing mum so um thank you very much esther for helping us out thank you everyone who listens to us um 
Luna and I, we just like talking to each other and we like talking to other people. And it's, it's wonderful that you like listening to us talking. It's very nice. Indeed. Um, and on that front of the sort of like our attempted uh, mogul-esque monetization of this podcast, could we please recommend that you click on the link to the link tree um, available um, wherever you will find this podcast, there will be a link to the Broken Laws link tree. And our first two links will take you to places where we can offer you a discount. Um, whether that discount is on the wonderful book, Waters Gleaming Gold, uh, describing the life and times of Hugh Jumbo Edwards, um, a British rowing Olympic hero, and to a certain extent, a British wartime hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, we have a discount, a 10% discount on any subscription that you choose to make um, to a computer program which is a, quite a large part of my life the exa app um that allows you to row around the uh, the waterfalls and cliffs of henley in virtual reality it's not just henley it's Exa Henley, which is um, <laughs> this isn't this isn't just Henley. This is Exa Henley. It is, and and also and Boston, Exa Boston is like it's the Boston that always should have been. It's Boston without the bank robberies and um, people from Boston like, going. I'm from I'm from I'm from Boston. It's wicked smart, uh, and what you know the, the the kind of you know we have um, celebrities. It's, it's Boston without the irritating traffic jams where they should have created a uh, six lane two k rowing course going right through the middle of the city. Basically, um, you know, how, yeah, it's that. You you know how we have professional Yorkshiremen. You know, it used to be people like Fred Truman and Jeffrey Boycott, and we have professional Cockneys like. Um, Danny Baker, although he makes the very the very good point that he's he's just someone with a Cockney accent who talks on the radio. No one says to people on Radio Four that they they are professional Oxbridges or they are professional middle class people. They're just professionals. Um, America seems to have this class, like the Matt Damons and the Ben Afflecks and and um, the Seth Myerses and the you know who are from Boston, and it's like a token of gritty inner city blue collar author massachusetts authenticity um a gaslight anthem and um who else was i thinking of yeah the dropkick murphys they're definitely Dropkit murphys yeah they've got a few good songs though i mean i'm, I'm gonna grant them yeah they're, they're they're kind of like you know the equivalent of the of, of the pogues but with more bostonian you know authenticity uh yeah this is this is this is this is boston this is the head of the charles course without ben affleck doing another movie about being ben affleck and coming from boston essentially yeah um so yeah it's it's pretty good you can be chased by a shark around lake bled and that shark won't give up if you if you really really want to try very hard to get away from that shark 
keep going, but it will catch you. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it, it has an increasingly uh, good community and uh, I enjoy it immensely. And you can get 10% off your subscription with it. Um, if you use the code, all in capital letters, all one word, broken oars, um, which is the name of this podcast. Um, and yeah, um, and that is another way, should you choose to, that you can support this podcast. And for everyone who has put their hand in their pocket and supported this podcast, we are enormously grateful. Yes, this has been our Christmas special. As you can tell, we didn't really think about it too much. <laughs> um, sorry about that, but if you've listened to this podcast, you know that uh, unless there's a guest coming on where we do actually do quite a lot of prep, Lou and I will basically just ring each other up and chat about whatever's on our mind. Um, we hope you've enjoyed it. If you are, you know, going home for Christmas or having people coming home for Christmas, have a wonderful one. Um, you know, hug, hug the ones you love, hold them close, tell them that you love them, eat too much, drink too much, laugh too much, never laugh too much. And um, thank you so much for spending your time with us. It's an absolute honor and a privilege. Thank you very much indeed. Good evening. Mm.